Jackie again, and it comes from uh, a little bit from Proverbs and from Ephesians. Got a few scriptures to read today. Um, so I'm not sure if we've got it up on the screen. Yeah, coming? Okay, awesome. So first one is from Proverbs 14, verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. I might read from here. Okay, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Then we've got Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. A few chapters over, Proverbs 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offence. Proverbs 30, verse 33. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. Some wise words there. Okay, in Ephesians 4, verses 17 uh, to 23, I believe. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Well, good morning, church. It's um, great to see you all this morning and uh, be together. And uh, as the holidays finish, to see the numbers also increase, which is really good. Uh, Last time I was here, uh, preaching that is, um, I was preaching out of Luke's Gospel. And we were looking at an event in the life of Christ, raising the, uh, the dead young man of Nain. And I asked you to join me in a journey and to understand what was happening. That sort of preaching out of narrative. Today, um, we're looking at Proverbs and also a co-relative New Testament text in Ephesians. So the difference is, I I think, uh, for the listener, is that you might see this more as a teaching sermon. And um, I've got a PowerPoint that goes up with this. And uh, when I submitted it to Johan, he said, man, you've got a lot of slides. Um, So I do that for a couple of reasons. The first one is that some of you might appreciate the visual uh, as you listen uh, and uh, let that sink in. Other people, if you're distracted with the number of slides that are there, just... um, Hone in your ears to what you hear. So I'm just trying to cater for different types of listeners. And and I know that I'm quite a visual listener, so I like the pictures and those words. Um, Before I begin, I would like to pray. And I thank you, Gerda, for uh, your prayers. And um, uh, we're just trusting that the Holy Spirit will, as the author of the word be the one who also applies it for us this morning. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, you are a speaking God. You spoke uh, the universe into existence. Your words have power. And as your word is read and proclaimed today, it has power through your Holy Spirit. Our prayer is that you will use the medium of my voice and preparation to speak that word, but also that the power will be felt in every person listening here in this room and online at home, and that it will have a really verifiable effect in us, transforming us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So we trust you in this and we submit to you and open up our hearts and minds to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the title for this message is uh, Living Wisely and Living Well and subtitle uh, Developing a Wise Temperament. Now Proverbs... Uh, is a very interesting book. And if you would like to see the overall theme of Proverbs, it goes like this. Proverbs teaches us 
how to live well in God's world. That's what Proverbs is about. Most people I talk to like to live well. So my question is, do you want to live well? Yes, I want to live well. Well, let's, let's listen to what God says about how we can live well. So today we're going to look at God's word in Proverbs and see what it says about wise temperament. And we're focusing on anger and patience. And that's why those words from Proverbs were read. So if you want the outline of where we're going, I'm going to say a few words about the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at wise temperament and then dig in to anger. And I'd like to look at transforming anger and then also look at patience and look at cultivating patience. So that's where we're going in an outline. The first thing to notice is that Proverbs is Christian scripture. It begins with the assertion that the Lord is the starting point and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so a wise person looks at God's world through the eyes or the lens of God's word. A foolish person who says there is no God looks at the world through human eyes and they can still observe the truth, but they reject God's wisdom, they reject God's instruction and abandon his wisdom. So all of us look through a particular lens, the godly through scripture and those who don't accept God look with simply human eyes. So let me illustrate how that works um, by looking at all of us who will at times need correction to our eyes by wearing glasses. One person looks at God's world through the lens or the glasses of God's word and sees wisdom by fearing God. That's what determines your perspective. The other person looks at God's world through man-centred glasses. Now, those glasses do not help you see clearly. It's actually a distorted vision, which you think is normal, but it means that you reject wisdom and you choose folly. And that's how secular man, how a humanistic man looks at the world through their own man-centred lens. And you and I know that when we have conversations with different people, sometimes it's though, are we on different planets? The fact that I'm looking at it from this way and you're looking at it from that way, that's the reason for it. So give it into a practical illustration. I wear glasses for um, here. I'm more long-sighted, so I need glasses for this. If I lost my glasses and said, OK, can I have your pair? Like, Martin, if we swap glasses, I wonder what would happen. We'd probably have some distorted vision. I don't want to see through your glasses. I'd rather see through mine. But you can see the difference a pair of glasses makes. Now, Proverbs is a very interesting Bible book. It's, a, it's not about the history of God's people 
and God saving them for himself. It's not that sort of history. It's not about all the promises that God has made in the past and has fulfilled, which is what we call covenant theology. It's not about covenant theology. In fact, the book of Proverbs has very little to say about God. And if you noticed, in the Bible readings from Proverbs, God wasn't even mentioned. So that presents the book as a bit of a puzzle for some people. So we're going to drill down a little bit into Proverbs and also I want to see the gospel in Proverbs. So biblical wisdom, which is a word for Proverbs, biblical wisdom recognise the validity of using your God-given faculties to observe and reason about reality so that you can see it and that you can test it and see what the result is. So biblical wisdom actually enables science. Science is observe, test, find the results, compare them. And so biblical wisdom is about observing and seeing what the results are. But there's another dimension to biblical wisdom, and that is it understands our sinful nature, our rebellious self-willed spirit, which desperately needs the revelation of God. So this is a, an important sentence. Proverbs is the expression of the redeemed mind reflecting on God's world. expression of a redeemed mind reflecting on God's world. Wisdom reminds us that being human means that we make human decisions for human acts which have human consequences. So the Proverbs are eminently practical. They deal with us, what we do, and what happens when we do things. Wisdom is practical, and we know that Proverbs works. Biblical wisdom has a third dimension. And that is it shows us as human beings how we are meant to function in God's world. Shows us how we're meant to function. And this is how wisdom then begins to relate to Christ. So how do you find Christ in Proverbs? I want to drill down into that a little bit. It's actually only knowing Christ and living in Christ that we can have this full and true knowledge, I'm not saying that myself. It's what the Bible says about Christ being our wisdom. Jesus is the true man of God. And we can only be the true people of God through being connected to him. And you see that that sort of thinking, that theology, comes out in Ephesians 1 verse 17 to 18 which is one of the prayers of Paul that he prays for people he knows. And this is what he says. See how this relates to Jesus. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's the first thing he prays for, wisdom and revelation. And then he says, so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. I know it's a a long sentence. It's a lot to absorb. But Paul says, in essence, I pray that you'll know Jesus better. I pray that you'll have wisdom and revelation, that you may know the hope available to you. If you look at that and want to boil it right down, it's what Jesus confronted Nicodemus with and said, if you really want to know me and really want to know reality, really want to know wisdom, you must be, what did he say? Born again or literally born from above. So if you want true wisdom for living well, you must be born again. And I would like to say to anybody who's here, who hasn't got that connection with Jesus through faith yet, seriously consider Jesus. Seriously consider wisdom. Seriously consider Christ will change things. So we're going to um, look now at temperament, but that was the gospel as it relates to Proverbs. Let's look at temperament. What's a good definition of temperament? Well, you know, we can all Google it. And I did that and found a few definitions. And here's what I found. A person's temperament is a person's nature or predisposition, especially as it affects their behaviour. So temperament is part of their disposition, but also their behaviour is part of temperament. Another definition says it's a combination of mental, physical and emotional traits. When you look at about temperament is this. It's the characteristic way an individual behaves, especially towards other people. The last definition, which I think brings a couple of important things together, is this. Temperament is a combination of personality and character. Now, personality is what you are born with. How you are wired naturally, that's personality. Character is how you develop through life circumstances, through the pressures and strains of life. So you could say that temperament is partly nature and partly nurture. For example, if you want to choose a pet dog, you will begin, I think most people will, you want to look at the dog breeds, And you want to have a look at their temperaments. What sort of temperament do you want to have in a dog that determines its overall personality? Because dogs, like people, have very different temperaments. Just think of breeds like the Doberman or the Pit Bull or Border Collies or Golden Retrievers. You can see already temperament in those different dogs. Some are aggressive and some are playful, and some are just happy to carry your slippers. You see, that's their nature. But then if you look at, if you have that dog, and how you treat that dog, how you train that dog, talking about nurture, that will also affect your dog's behaviour. So one dog 
can be very confident, very helpful by nature of its training. Another dog can be very fearful or afraid. So we're talking about temperament there. Another example of human temperament is how people look at things. You get the optimistic temperament. You know, the person who says, my glass is half full. You get the other person who's got the pessimistic temperament. And what's their view? My glass is half empty. That's part of your temperament, personality and character. So what's your natural temperament? It will be a combination of your natural predisposition, which colours your personality, and your character, which has been shaped by things, uh, reactions and circumstances. Now here's some news for you. There's not a lot you can do about your God-given personality. You, know, you are you. God created you individually. He had his personal design on you. And he gave you your personality. So when it comes to your personality, I would say rejoice in it. That's how God made you. But then when you look at your character... There is much you can do about your character. And so the Proverbs tell us we are a work in progress. One is hardwired. One is through circumstances and situations how we learn. So we're going to look this morning at wisdom-based and wisdom-shaped temperament. And we're focusing on anger, transforming anger, and on patience Cultivating patience. Let's look at transforming anger. Now, I don't know whether you've thought a lot about this. Maybe you have. But anger can be good anger or bad anger. Have you thought about anger being good or bad? The same can be said about patience, you know. Good patience and bad patience. Bad patience you know, you're patient to the point where you don't even do it. So you get slack and you get negligent. That's bad patience. So there's good patience, bad patience. There's good anger and bad anger. Now, this, this is another interesting fact for us as human beings, that anger and patience are actually attributes of God. They are some of them. And so the conclusion you, you reach is this. If we're made in God's image... If we reflect something of God, then anger and patience can actually be healthy emotions. If they're in God, they can be in you. So you can have good anger and you can have good patience. And our sin. Our sin or other people's sin or bad reactions or attitudes get in the way. And that can make our anger very destructive and it can make our patience lead to terrible behaviour. You only have to look at Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. We read in Proverbs 30, 33. For as churning cream produces butter and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Can you hear 
how an angry person is being described. She stirs up conflict. She commits many sins, produces strife. He is hot-tempered and stirred up and, and speaks with emotions that are out of control. Now, it's interesting when you look at the original language, the Hebrew word for anger is actually anchored in the word nostril as a location for anger. So whenever you think of anger and you see one of those fiery dragons, what do you see? You see flames coming out of their nostrils. That, that's what Hebrews is talking about, flames out of your nostrils. And the Greek words for anger, they cover emotions, but they're coloured. They're hot, and they have passions or impulses that flare up. So anger in a colour is what? Red. Red hot with anger. Or, you know, um, flagging, uh, doing a red flag to a bull when someone gets angry. It's like waving a red flag to a bull. So anger is a God-given emotion. And when you feel angry, the first thing you have to understand is this. There is an unresolved tension in your spirit. When you get angry, the first thing you need to think about is there's an unresolved tension in my spirit. Something is, but it's anger's forms, it's anger's motives, it's anger's effects that determine whether your anger is actually appropriate or sinful. Did you get that? Anger's forms, anger's effects or motives determine whether it's good anger or bad anger. So we increase in temperature. In other words, they increase in redness. The first stage of anger we call irritation. It's a feeling of discomfort brought about someone or something. Discomfort. It's minor level. The, the next one is indignation. A bit stronger word. And it's a feeling that something must be answered or something must be corrected. There are two times when Jesus is described in Luke's Gospel as he was indignant. He knew something was wrong and something needed to be corrected. And the two times, if my memory serves me well, is the money changes in the temple. You had Jesus turned over the tables and said, this is my father's house, it's a house of prayer. He was indignant, something had to be corrected. The other one was when Jesus was having these children and mothers coming around him and the disciples said, get out of the road, you're only kids. And Jesus said, look, the kingdom of God is made of such as these. Two times Jesus was indignant. Something was wrong, needed to be corrected. A third level, getting redder, is giving expression to a strong desire. It's wrath giving a strong desire to avenge. Wrath is getting angry and you want to do something about it in getting revenge. Fury is getting quite red hot. It's when your emotions are out of control and you're like a raging bull around the paddock. Rage is the really red hot level where there's a temporary loss of control involving acts of violence 
And a person in a rage scarcely understands or realises what they've done. They're so fuming with anger that nothing is rational anymore at all. So they're the different levels of anger. But we know that anger has also different voices or manifestations. The first one we see is suppressed anger. When you don't want to show your anger and you press it down because you don't want to let people know what you're thinking, you suppress the anger. Maybe you've been taught that powerful emotions are not acceptable to be expressed openly. Maybe you come from a background where you've got to suppress those emotions. Suppressed anger is also something that you want to keep hidden and it simmers away and it's like a volcano ready to erupt at any moment. Suppressed anger. And people who have suppressed anger often get headaches and stomach problems and other physical ailments. What you suppress has to come out somewhere. And that's what often happens. That's suppressed anger. The other one is open aggression. A person who is openly aggressive is very quick to speak. And they're always right. And they only work from their personal needs. It's, it's really without thinking, me first. I'm angry because this is something that happened to me and you stop me. That is open aggression. And some people who have this are very blunt and they say, I'm only trying to fix a problem. And they are openly aggressive. They don't really care whom they hurt in the process. They're just thinking about what they want. This anger is explosive. It's intimidating and usually sarcastic. Open aggression. A third one is called passive aggression. Where you quietly manipulate circumstances. You get what you want, but you squeeze and worm away in doing things behind the scenes. It might cost other people to get what you want. And you tend to protect yourself. You lie about things or you, you don't follow things through. Such people who have passive aggression are obstructionist. They complain behind people's backs. They're actually aggressive without openly expressing it. That's why it's called passive-aggressive. Can you see with me that all those forms of anger are actually destructive? But if you look inside the mirror, I've actually displayed some of those angers. And I think you all would have had one or the other or maybe all of them. And so, aware of this, when you feel these things, try to put a label on it and try to deal with it in wisdom's way. And, of course, repent of the anger and don't let it characterise you. Don't walk around like an angry person. So anger is a natural emotion and anger can be like a corrosive acid. It will actually eat you up. 
So the question I think you're all asking and begging me to tell you is, okay, how do you transform anger? Well, let's look at wisdom's redeemed response to anger. And then you'll see also how the gospel shapes how we deal with anger. This is what it says in Romans 12, verse 17 to 19 and 21. It won't be on the screen, but you can take the text down and read it at home. I'll read it for you now. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Why is that good advice? Because God has one hundred. He's not sin-stained. So the passage finishes by, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. So you've heard how to go about it. How can I do this? How can you do it? Well, it's not natural, but it's supernatural. And let me tell you a couple of clues, gospel wisdom-shaped clues, the depth of your anger is only offset by a firm grasp of the goodness of God. When you are angry, if you can firmly grasp the goodness of God and look at him and what he's done for you, anger will start to abate. And our tendency to choose anger will reduce when we start to look at God's grace to me. When I see God's grace more, all of a sudden I don't get so angry anymore. So that confirms what Jesus said and what we said earlier. You must be born again. To be living well, living wisely, you must be born again. Because what happens when you're born again, the Holy Spirit is driving you rather than your flesh nature. That is so wonderful. That is a reason to be born again. If you're not born again, that's a reason to ask to be born again so that the Holy Spirit might drive me. And then Jesus has secured your relationship with God so you don't have to be threatened by anyone or anything. If Christ is for you, who can be against you? So it gives you that security by being born again, driven by the Holy Spirit. Now, I read a book a few years ago called You Can Change by Tim Chester. I don't know if any of you have heard of it or read of it. He's a British writer. He's from a reformed and evangelical sort of perspective. And he wrote this book, and I thought, isn't that interesting title? You Can Change. As soon as he starts writing the book, he says, yeah, you can't change yourself, but I know who can change you. And that's what the book's all about. And as I read it and digested it and looked at it for pastoral care and even for evangelism, what Tim Chester did is through looking at scripture, particularly Psalm 62, he extracted four great biblical statements that have helped me navigate my sinful behaviour, and my negative emotions. And they're going to be up on the screen. The first one is, God is great. 
That means you don't have to be in control of everything. That is so releasing. I don't have to try to keep everything together because I can't and life will fall apart. God is great. We don't have to be in control. In other words, give it over to God. The second one is God is glorious. So we don't have to fear other people. That is so precious. If God is glorious, then I'm not looking for glory for myself. I just want to glorify him. Third one is God is good. So you don't have to look for goodness elsewhere. God is all you need. He is good. You know, we sing that song, Good, Good Father, one of my favourite songs. He's a good, good father. Fourthly, God is gracious. So we don't have to prove ourselves. We rest in Christ. God is gracious. He has us covered. We've got this hanging up on our fridge so that we walk past it every day. Even then, it's not always front of mind for me. God is great. God is good. God is glorious. God is gracious. If you can use those four points as comfort through any situation, and he definitely will help you transform your anger. Let's look finally at cultivating patience. See how wise these proverbs are when they contrast patience to anger. Just want to look at them in uh, the book of Proverbs. Maybe I didn't. I'm sure it's here somewhere. Here we are. So, uh, Proverbs 14.29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. That means foolishness. Proverbs 15, 1 and 18. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Better a patient person, says Proverbs 16, 32, than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. 19, 11. A person's wisdom Yields patience, overlook an offence. I found something interesting in that connection there. A person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offence. So patience is connected here with forgiveness. I want to chat about that. So let's look at those proverbs which we've just done. And we're summarising. A patient person has great understanding of themselves and of others. A gentle answer turns away wrath. It actually subdues wrath, takes the temperature out of it. A patient person calms a quarrel because they can listen and that lets the intensity abate. And a patient person is equipped with self-control. That means you're first of all winning the battle within. Such a person, Proverbs says, is stronger and more effective than a warrior who launches into battle with all his equipment or one who tries to take a city. The biblical word for patience means long-tempered, forbearing, able to persevere, or long-suffering. In other words, a patient person has a very long fuse. 
Oh, you can't see that picture very well, can you? But that is a stick of dynamite with quite a long fuse. So a patient person has a long fuse. They don't easily blow their stack. So patience actually is the opposite of anger. It's an attribute of God. We said that before. And you only have to follow how God has dealt with his people, Israel, in history to see what a long fuse our God has. And God's patience stands behind human patience. And Galatians 5 says that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. So you can only have genuine patience when you belong to God and have faith in Christ. Because and you need to be patient and long-suffering to have a forgiving spirit. The ability to forgive releases yourself from a big burden and it releases others. Proverbs 19.11 says, Forgiveness or overlooking a sin is to free others from the hurts and frustrations of the past. And true forgiveness, being able to overlook it, not call it back to mind, the Bible says, that will help free yourself. It will help you let go of bitterness. It allows you to accept others. And that is actually the ultimate form. Forgiveness is the ultimate form of generosity. Because it, it, it reflects God's generosity to us. No wonder it's to one's glory to overlook an offence. It is so godlike. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And patience is at work when you listen to what James says in James 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. I have to learn that one. Slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Paul says in Ephesians, that reading that we had earlier, that patience and long-suffering is the road to being like Jesus. What did he say? Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ forgave, in Christ God forgave you. So if you are angry, we will get angry at times, but if you're angry, don't stay in the prison of war camp of anger. If you do, it will bind you and hold you back. We've learned how we can deal with anger. Exercise patience that leads to forbearance and forgiveness. And that is the escape route for anger. It also leads us to the cross, where the only one who had the right to be angry or the right to be bitter wasn't. He chose to die on the cross for us. And then we also see from James that nothing diffuses anger more effectively than listening. And listening takes patience, gives you the ability to give a gentle answer which turns away wrath. 
even as the Lord Jesus exercised this. Imagine what he went through on that Friday. And then when he was crucified on the cross, where he suffered under Pontius Pilate, Jesus could still say those words, Father, forgive them. Not my revenge. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That is forbearance. That is patience. That is love. So in conclusion, let's say that anger and patience are attributes of God and they are perfectly reflected in the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see that it's only as we're connected to Jesus by faith that we have the power to be angry and yet not sin? And we have the strength to be patient in every situation. Paul says in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness, that's the forbearing, patient spirit, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present, you, present your request to God. And what's the promise? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's how to live wisely and well. With wise temperaments, we will actually look more like Jesus every day. And that's how I want to live. Do you? Let's pray.